This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only in my home in Montana, where this morning we have an inch of snow waiting for us. Uh, And Sarah Abbott, you're back in Connecticut. And maybe that reflects how you're feeling because winter came a lot sooner than you expected. Wow. First of all, what a segue. That was well done. And (laughs) secondly, yeah, my feelings are hurt this morning. Um, You know, lifelong Phillies fan, lifelong Phillies fan as of last year. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. What a tough anniversary this was. Very excited to, well, not excited, but happy to have Hembo on to commiserate. And this is a, a tough day for all of the lifelong Phillies fans out there. Well, and I would tell you this, too. When we speak with Hembo, don't tell him the story that you told me about perhaps jinxing the Phillies in this series, okay? You have to tell the story about bumping into a Diamondbacks fan and what you said. I was really hoping we want to bring this up. This is news to me. So, yeah, I frequent a grocery store in my area, and one of the people who works at the store always wears a Diamondbacks hat, and I was wearing my Phillies hat, and this was early on in the series, and I I was full of it. I was cocky, and I was making fun of him. And then as the series progressed, I was like, yeah, but you know what? We're going to be back in Philly, so it's, you know, I'm feeling good. And Are you uh, thinking you're going to explore other stores at this point? I am so scared to go back. I am <laughs> terrified. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Taylor Schwenk, of course, is also with us. He's back in Connecticut. And uh, Taylor, I look, I mean, the Diamondbacks, I said on Kornheiser again, the same thing I've been saying on the podcast. For the first time in history, a team can stand there and say, no one thought we had a chance and they're 100% right. Crazy, dude. It really is. You you need to bang that drum loud and everywhere over the next couple of days because you staked out that claim uh, about a week and a half ago. So I, I love when you can kind of speak things into the existence like this. All right. Well, at the World Series, I'm going to seek out Tori Lovello, uh, you know, other guys in that team and, and have that conversation. I believed in you. <laughs> Uh, no, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Game seven in Philadelphia last night. It was 0 0, uh, obviously, at the start of the game. And it felt like that scoring the first run would be a big deal because the Phillies were playing under so much pressure. And guess who scored the first run? Swing and a broken bat roller to the left side. Boom up with it to second for one. Return to first, not in time. Carroll comes in to score, and the Diamondbacks have struck first. one nothing Arizona on the RBI fielder's choice by Christian Walker. That was Boog Shambi, legend, who will be doing the play-by-play during the World Series along with Eduardo Perez, Jessica Mendoza. I'll be part of that group as well. In the bottom of the second inning, the Phillies would tie the score. Fought, ready to work, and fires. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep left field on its way. We are tied. Alec Bohm, a home run into the stands in left field. And it's 1-1. The Phillies would take the lead in the bottom of the fourth. The kick, the pitch. Swing and a ball drilled. Left center field. This one's going to be trouble. That'll touch down and a roll all the way to the fence. Here's Bohm racing to third. Watson's going to send him. Throw to Perdomo. Perdomo throw to the plate. Too late. Sliding in to score is Alec Bohm. And it's an RBI double for Bryson Stott. The Phillies have a 2-1 lead. But you know what? The Phillies had a chance to add on, and they were not able to. Here's a 1-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Rojas is gone, and the Phillies leave them loaded. In the top of the fifth inning, the Diamondbacks tied the score. Next offering, hit on the ground, up the middle of the base hit, and Rivera around third. He's coming in to score. Corbin Carroll, an RBI single, and the Diamondbacks have evened it up. It's 2-2. And that rally continued. Kicks fires. Swing and a line drive. That's a base hit into right field. Carroll to third. Around third on his way to the plate. The throw is cut off. Carroll is in to score. And now they got Moreno in a rundown, and they tag him out. It goes Harper over to Stott. But the run comes in, and Arizona has taken the lead. Cattell Marte would have an unbelievable series against the Phillies. 
Delivers. Swing and a fly ball. Well struck. Left field going back. Castellanos. It's over his head. It bangs up against the wall. Castellanos will throw it into Stott. Stopping at third is Perdomo as the throw comes into the plate. And how about Cattell Marte, who has now hit in 16 straight postseason games. And that is a record for the most postseason games to begin a career. He has hit in every playoff game he's played in. The Diamondbacks had a 42 lead in the bottom of the eighth. And you kept on waiting for that powerful Phillies lineup to break through. But it didn't happen in the eighth. The 1-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Boehm is gone on a nasty slider biting down and away. And a 2-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Stott is gone. And a 2-2. Check swing. Did he go? Yes, he did. Struck him out. And Ginkle strikes out the side here in the eighth. Kevin Ginkle was dominant then. This is what it sounded like in the bottom of the ninth inning. Seawall. The 1-2. Swing and a high fly ball right field. Playable for Carroll. Near the line. Carroll under it. He's got it. And that does it. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to the World Series. The Cinderella run of the Arizona Diamondbacks continues. They're the National League champions. And they knock off the Phillies in seven. Wow. 84 wins in the regular season, and then they beat the Brewers, and then they knocked out the Dodgers, and now they've knocked out the Philadelphia Phillies, which is why, as they celebrated in Philadelphia, and that crowd uh, finally out of the ballpark quietly, you could hear the Diamondbacks celebrating. Here's Evan Longoria speaking with Jesse Rogers. With Evan Longoria, you and I have been joking for two weeks. You, you're going to have to reschedule this Halloween cruise. Probably the most um, excited you are to reschedule vacation, I would imagine. Man, I can't believe it, man. The, the guys showed up today. Everybody, top to bottom, this whole year. You know, we've been counting on this whole roster. And, I mean, our guys showed up today. You know, fought, great pitching performance. Bullpen guys come in, shut it down. This place is impossible to win in. Let me tell you, I can't tell you how hard it is to win in this place. To come here, take two, man, just what a great team effort. I wonder if playing in the atmosphere those first two games had to, it must have helped you in game six and seven here. Well, we didn't, we didn't score any runs then, you know, we, we didn't get, we didn't get out in front. We didn't get a chance to kind of quiet the crowd. And so I think after yesterday's game, you know, we saw like if we can get out in front, you know, if we can kind of take the crowd out of it a little bit, um, then we could kind of flip it in our favor and, um, you know, it got crazy after they took the lead there. You know, we were, we were able to bounce back quickly and uh, take the lead. And, man, just I can't, even, I can't even describe how happy I am. He also spoke with Corbin Carroll. With Corbin Carroll, you're so well-spoken. Can you find the right words to describe how you feel going to the World Series in your first year of the big leagues? I mean, you can't set me up like that in a moment like this. Um, no, it's hard to put into words, you know. That last ball, catching the outfield, squeezing it, knowing it was over. You know, just an unbelievable feeling. Uh, just pure, uh, you know, elation would be the word. You saved your best game for the last. It, it seemed like you made some adjustments after seeing so many left-handers. Take us through that tonight. You know, honestly, not really. Um, I think just my message would be, right, you've got to believe in yourself, and you've got to believe in your process. You know, some things didn't go my way early on, but, you know, I, I never lost that belief in, in myself to, to be able to go out there and get the job done. Kyle Schwarber, Philly's designated hitter, leader of in that clubhouse, talked about how the team feels after the loss. Everyone's got a, a sick feeling in their stomach. You know, uh, it's it's not the way that we, we pictured this thing ending, but, uh, you know, it's a lot of things to look back on, but. You know, it just, I'm sure this isn't going to sit right with a lot of guys. And, you know, we're going to have to, you know, make sure that we do everything in our power in this offseason. And, um, you know, to, to make sure that we come out, we, you know, we know it's going to be a challenging, tough year going into next year. But, you know, try to envision ourselves getting back to this spot and making sure that doesn't happen. And about next year, Schwarber hopes that the Phillies get a chance to run it back. If you look at the... The, the, the roster, the roster construction one, there, there's so much talent and there's great players all around, you know, offense, defense, pitching. There, there's so many good players. And I think the special thing is that, you know, we're such a tight-knit group and, 
we play for each other, we play for the city, and you know that that's the thing that you know I, I think that's why you know everyone's obviously sick. Where you invest so much in the into what you do on a daily basis, and um, you know there's you know there's there's no you just put so much work into it. You know you spend more time here than you do with your family during the season, and because you're trying to win a championship, and. Uh, you know, that's that's why it hurts, but yeah, th- this group is special, and you know, there's going to be a lot of pieces back. Obviously, you know, new season. I'm sure there'll, you know, there'll be some different things going on, but hopefully, we have a lot of the same group back, and we can do this thing again. Billy shortstop Trey Turner was asked about regrets. Regret? I don't regret anything. Um, I would definitely like to have some plays and at bats and certain things back. I'd like another crack at it for sure, um, but I don't, I don't have any regrets. Phillies manager Rob Thompson talked about this team's goal. We're built for for October because of our starting pitching, because of our offense, and um, and we have a good bullpen now. Some sometimes those areas break down a little bit, but uh, we've got a good ball club. But our goal isn't to get to the playoffs. Our goal is always to win the World Series. So an absolute stunner that we had. The World Series starts on Friday in Arlington. The Diamondbacks facing the Texas Rangers. Uh, Taylor, just going back through my memory, Rachel, as we've established, is the only person we know of who picked the Rangers to make it to the World Series. You know of anybody who picked the Diamondbacks to make it to the World Series? Mm, I feel like I'm stepping into an elevator shaft with this one. Besides Sarah's, uh, the person uh, that she sees at the uh, grocery store? Mm, No one's coming to mind, Buster. Who did it? Nobody? I don't know. Is it nobody? I don't know anybody. I think maybe Man. Sarah Langs. I have in my thing. I'm going to joke with her today that uh, you know I'm sure that uh, before the season began, she bet uh, like a huge amount of savings she has on the Diamondbacks to win the World Series. That's, like that would have been a bet, right? Yeah, that's what she you should use her powers of mathematics for, making lots of money for herself. Right, exactly. <laughs> a couple of other notes uh, before we speak with Paul Ambikides and try to assure him that uh, life will go on. Bob Melvin is now set to become the Giants manager uh, after the Padres gave him permission to leave. We talked about this down the stretch. Melvin with an ugly relationship with A.J. Preller unworkable relationship probably would be the better way to describe it. And Craig Breslow has been picked to lead the Boston Red Sox baseball operations. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we call it Wacky Wednesday over here because behind the scenes, me and Sarah are swinging from one recording to another. So one recording we did while we were recording baseball, the College Game Day podcast, Sign Stealing, has hit college football. Reese Davis diving into if you should care, why you should care, how it happened. It's pretty elaborate. Um, so he has some yes. fun with that. Yeah. And reading that, it's been fascinating. Yeah, they had a whole staffer who would go to these games and like try and like like he was trying to stop a paper trail from occurring and taking lots of video, transferring tickets, very, very interesting stuff. So well, and I'd say this my big question, and maybe uh, you guys address this on the podcast. The idea that Jim Harbaugh had no knowledge <laughs> of any of this going on. Are you kidding me? Not a Are chance. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Not a chance. You know, Reese, Reese had a good joke. He was like the staffer who who orchestrated all this. Like whenever he gets the boot from college football, he should work for one of those massive logistics companies that moves like cars from like San Francisco to Bangladesh. Like he's got a future in that. <laughs> Yeah, and the idea, and you know how what control freaks college football oh my God, coaches yeah. are. All football coaches, really? Like there wouldn't at some point have been a question. Hey, uh, you know, when you guys yelled out the you know the the the, uh, the offensive scheme of the other team, and you gave your code, what does that mean? You I don't think that. that ever was was you know shouted out at some point? It's so weird how we live in this world where like. The first, like when when something like this happens, the like the first thing the school or the coach does is like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. They know, know they know what their players eat. For like, he could probably go through his whole roster and like pick out the eating preferences for all eighty guys. The fact that he might say he doesn't know about this this high level uh, sign stealing business is is a farce. Come on, come on, (laughs) come on. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo, of course, is Paul Ambikidis, who is Mike Greenberg's right-hand man normally, but today I suspect that Greeny is trying to have to going to try to prop up Hembo because everybody in the country is worried about Hembo and his feelings after his Phillies were eliminated last night. Elizabeth Hart, Hembo, wrote in a Bleacher tweet, I'm sure everyone will be concerned about the, about Sarah, the lifelong Phillies fan, but has anyone checked in on Hembo and his daughters? We'll do that right now. How's your family doing? Uh, the family is good. Uh, Hembo, less good. Uh, definitively less good, Buster. I think the best way to describe how I'm feeling this morning is – kind of like post-op. Like I feel like I had surgery yesterday and I feel like the painkillers are beginning to wear off. So I would say the best way to describe my feelings today are um, numb. I just feel numb. You know, last year when the Phillies lost in the World Series, having won game one and having led two games to one, I was obviously disappointed. I would say bordering on devastated, just sort of more, you know, traditionally as a fan. But this year feels very different because from my experience, at least, fandom is just all about expectation. And last year was such a joyride, and losing to the Astros, the better team, was something that I could stomach pretty soon after it happened. But but this is a loss um, that is going to live with me for a long time. Not only did we not come close to reaching the top of the mountain, having fallen short of the World Series, but we did it against what I would describe even now as an inferior team with the opportunity to win one of two games at home at a place that I was touting as the greatest home field advantage in sports. But look, the Diamondbacks turned that madhouse into a mausoleum, and they deserve all the credit in the world for how well they played for silencing those bats and for silencing those fans. Yeah, tell me what, before we get into the, and I, and I do want to get into the Phillies and, and some of the details there, tell me what was better about the Diamondbacks than people realized. Uh, you know, parts of their team that as you watch them play day in and day out during this uh, series, you're like, wow. Yeah, there are two things. The first of which is they have the heart of a champion. Like it's, a, it's the kind of team that mentally you can tell between the ears is not easily rattled. And I think that speaks to the manager because that's not a club uh, with the exception of Evan Longoria that has all that much sort of big game experience. So these guys haven't learned this. this guy, these guys haven't learned from their past failures. They've not had past failures because they've never been in this situation before. And so it's very clear that uh, culturally, um, they're in a much better place than I would have expected. And the second thing, Buster, is that they adjusted, they out-adjusted the Phillies so much over the last five games of that series. I mean, to beat the Phillies four times in a five-game span, when you clearly just have considerably less talent by any reasonable standard of measure, especially from the standpoint of their pitchers just being able to keep the ball off the barrel, and for the Phillies hitters to consistently be making the same kinds of outs, that was what was most impressed to me. Like they're advanced people um, getting the messaging to the players that the, this is how we're going to attack 
these over-aggressive Philly sitters, to me, was the biggest sort of swing in this series. So those would be my two answers. From a talent standpoint, they, they, they just aren't there. But you know as well as I do that from a talent standpoint in baseball, the best you can do is 60-40. That's the, the genius and the beauty of baseball. The way that they adjusted during this series, specifically their pitchers, was really uh, sort of a sight to behold, and they deserve all the credit in the world for outthinking the Phillies in games three through seven. And real quick, uh, I think that now that where we are, we can anoint Mike Hazen, the general manager, head of baseball operations for the Diamondbacks, as the winner of the trade deadline to add Paul Seawalt and the way that his, uh, you know, his fastball is running fastball, which is sort of like the, the 2023 version of Christian Javier, right? Uh, and Ryan Thompson. What a, I mean, what a job he's done for them uh, coming out of their bullpen. And Tommy Pham, who – you know, his role is lessened a little bit during the course of that series, but to get the Diamondbacks in the playoffs, what a great job Mike did there. Uh, he is remarkably good at his job. And allow this to be a lesson to, uh, your, you know, your team in the future, to future general managers at the trade deadline. There is probably nothing that you can add at that point of the season that can improve your chances of winning a championship than a high-leverage impact reliever. Like, I would yeah. rather have Paul Seawald on my team than a high-level position player the last two months of the season if I'm positioning myself for a playoff run because he can impact directly or indirectly every single game and the most important moments in those games. I mean, there was there was um, there were very few wins that the Diamondbacks had this postseason in which he did not have a direct effect, and it also enables you to work backwards. Like Torrey Lavello's pitching script, the way that he was able to abide by that in Game Six and Seven was kind of genius. But when you have a guy in the ninth inning that you trust like that, and look, Thompson threw great too, it allows you to work backwards and say, okay, I only have to worry about eight innings. And Joe Torre said many, many times to you in the postseason during their run how valuable that was for him with Mariano Rivera. Obviously, that's not an apples-to-apples comparison. But Seawald was lights out. And he had the kind of stuff that worked really well against the Phillies hitters and their kind of, their kind of profile of the Phillies hitters. That is as significant a move as you could possibly make at the trade deadline. They're not going to the World Series without that guy. And we're going to, I think the phrase common denominator is going to be used during the course of this podcast. And a common denominator, we should remember Brent Strom, who was the pitching coach with the Houston Astros, all the success they have there. Now the pitching coach, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, yeah, absolutely remarkable. And I was trying to think of this objectively, mm -hmm. uh, Hembo, how through baseball history, the biggest underdogs, right? A and the Diamondbacks are in that grouping now of, the 1914 Boston Braves teams that Tim Kirchin covered, okay? No one thought that team would be able to win in that World Series. The 1969 New York Mets against the Baltimore Orioles. You know, the, the Mets had been a you know expansion team and a disaster. I've told you about the last team that I really rooted for as a fan, the 1988 Dodgers, who went into a, you know, playoffs with a field that included the, the New York Mets who destroyed the Dodgers during that regular season. I think they won like 11 out of 12 or uh, 10 out of 11, and then they faced the Oakland Athletics, the Bash Brothers, and they were beaten. That's the company that the Diamondbacks have now, I think, in baseball history. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a gr yes, it, it does make sense. It's a great point, and I'm actually bringing some data to back you up. And I think that you have to, can candidly, I think you have to go beyond baseball to properly contextualize sort of the, the underdog nature of this run here. So as has been documented the last, the last week or two, like the Diamondbacks were outscored during the regular season. This is a team with a negative run differential that is in the World Series. This is the kind of unprecedented um, that that is, Buster. There are only two teams in history that reached the World Series with a negative run differential. This Diamondbacks team and the 1987 Twins, that team beat St. Louis in a seven-game World Series. It's only happened three times in the history of basketball that a team with a negative scoring margin got there. It was a 2023 Heat just last year. And then two teams in the 50s, the 59 Lakers and the 57 Hawks, it's only happened once in pro football, the 2011 Giants. It's never happened in hockey. So when you're talking about like the, the, the unprecedented nature of a run like this for a team with this kind of profile, we're talking about like half a dozen teams across hundreds of seasons in major sports history. Like what we're watching is history. It feels bizarre when you sort of experience history. But I think with the benefit of hindsight, we'll look back on this Diamondbacks run, regardless of what happens in the World Series, and say to ourselves, they were one of the great underdogs of all time. Yeah.
a golf clap, and I, I I don't know, expect you to join me in a golf clap for the Diamondbacks who just eliminated your team. Thought it was important to lift them up at the start of this conversation. Now we'll go back into the wallowing. Give me a defining moment uh, for you for game six and seven. So um, I'll start with the number, and then I'm going to give you uh, sort of a snapshot in time that will haunt me forever. The, the number buster that I have circled is 40. The number is 40, and it's because of, of 40 degrees. I want, I'll unpack this for you and see if you buy it. So okay. obviously, like the, the, the launch angle craze is a craze for a reason, because it works. But the league batted 036 this year on batted balls with a launch angle of 40 degrees or higher. It's effectively an automatic out. Buster, in games six and seven, the Phillies made 11 outs on those swings, and eight of those 11 outs came with men on base. In other words, the Phillies wow. effectively gave wow. away eight opportunities to drive men in by effectively playing hero ball. Like the Phillies had selfish at bats in each of the last two games. Like we had way too many players that were trying to win the game rather than win the at bat. And you know, people will say like, "Oh, you, know, you dance with the one that brung you," right? Like you live by the sword, you die by the sword. But truthfully, the Phillies were a good to excellent team in manufacturing runs. Manufacturing runs, not just during the regular season, but through game five of this series. But as you watch the Phillies in game six and seven, Buster, what I saw were a lot of guys that were trying to become the hero of the series and not trying to sort of pass the baton and play assembly line baseball. And I hate to call this a selfish team because you can't get this far actually being that way. But I think it's safe to say that they had a lot of selfish at-bats and when you're flying out lazily, when you're popping up with men on base, especially when the air is cold and the ball's not leaving the yard the way that they were, you know, the way that they were expecting, the way that it is so often in that ballpark, that's the reason the Phillies lost this game is because they hit too selfishly, and those at bats I think will haunt me for quite a long time. Yeah. So, and I really believe this. You know, that there's a certain amount of energy that's generated, you know, within a ballpark with a a rounded team, and we saw when that energy is pointed outward at the opposing team, the destruction that can happen. I really believe that once you got into game six and seven and the Diamondbacks aren't going away, that all that energy began to point inward on the players uh, because there was no doubt. Like the Diamondbacks were playing free and loose and no one thinks we're going to be here, which for the first time in history is 100% right. No one thought they had a chance. Give me the person who picked the Diamondbacks, you know, uh, in the middle of September even, you know, to beat – the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Brewers, or any of these teams. Uh, and, and all of that began to manifest on the Phillies players. Like all that joy, all that energy, all the excitement. And I'm not blaming the fans, but you know exactly what I'm saying. That all turned into pressure. Yeah, I, I'm not blaming the fans either, but I said on no. the radio uh, after game six, the same thing that I'll say today, and it's that this team and these fans, and I've observed this for two years now, they have a unique relationship, a symbiotic relationship. And it became apparent once the Diamondbacks uh, built an early lead in game six that the fans were waiting for something good to happen. And that was felt like that was palpable yes. when watching on TV. And when you're expecting something bad to happen in the stadium and you're expecting something bad to happen on the field, this is what happens. Like the Phillies played in game six and seven, like so many teams had played in that ballpark over the last two years. It sort of like turned against them. You have a bunch yep. of people spending $500 to get in the stadium. All the wealthy attorneys that live on the main line rather than the 700 level at veteran stadium crowd that were packing the stadium early in the playoffs. And they don't know how to act. Like this was, th th these were not the same Phillies fans that I saw going ape bleep earlier in the postseason. And the team acted and played like the crowd sort of uh, gave them. And the same, uh, and the same sort of energy was cycled in reverse. Baseball is not a game where, that you can play Buster tight and with pressure. And the Phillies, for the most part, have not played that way for almost the entirety of the last two postseasons. They picked the worst possible time for it to be that way. You're certainly not blaming the fans, but the feeling in that ballpark was ominous. Buster, I knew, well, I shouldn't say I knew, but I had an awfully bad feeling going into game seven. I, was, I, texted, um, I texted a friend of mine before the game and said, there are only two emotions that I can experience in watching this game. Relief or disgust, because joy was no longer on the, on the list of options. And I right? think the Phillies felt the same way. There, there, there was no joy in Mudville. There could have only been relief, Buster. And obviously, disdain is where we are today. Yeah. Oh, man. 
at what a long winter it's going to be. What about the <laughs> Phillies going forward? Because I think they're in good shape going forward. They got a couple of tough decisions. Aaron Nola is going to become a free agent. Uh, you know, I know that the Phillies owner, John Middleton, is going to want to keep him. But at some point, they're going to reach a tipping point on what they're going to be willing to pay him. And they have the question of Reese Hoskins and whether or not they bring him back for 2024. What do you say about the Phillies moving forward? My, my outlook is a little bit less optimistic than yours. I wouldn't describe okay. it as bleak. But let me, let me sort of go down this logic trail with you. So it's more than $200 million on the books next season as things stand today. So we obviously know this is a super expensive team. It's also a pretty old team. And as you're looking for ways in which the Phillies are going to pr improve, you don't have that much flexibility or roster spots in order to do so. There's also an area, uh, I think there's something to be said about the team's overall lack of athleticism, which is something um, that the Diamondbacks really had, and that made a big difference in games uh, six and seven. I think it's easy to look at the roster and say, yeah, we'll bring people back. Maybe we'll bring back Nola. Maybe we'll find a way to improve our pitching. But the fact of the matter is, Buster, the best time to, ma to maximize success is, is when you're having it because nothing in sports is guaranteed. This is a team that led the World Series two games to one last year, a team that had two chances to win one game to beat Arizona this year to go back to the World Series. You're not guaranteed any of that because you don't have the infrastructure that Atlanta does. You don't have the infrastructure that the Dodgers do. So candidly, the fact that the Phillies were in this position the last two years was unlikely by itself. So the fact that you didn't reach the top of the mountain in either situation, what the odds say is that they're stacked against you moving forward because the Phillies didn't have the best team this year and they didn't have the best team last year. You know how this stuff goes. I, I don't want to say this so directly, but my feeling is that the Phillies just lost their best chances to win a championship with this oh iteration. Boy. I hope I hope to God that I'm wrong, Buster. But when I think about things rationally, that's where I net out. All right, before you go, give us a quick World Series preview. Diamondbacks against the Texas Rangers. Yeah, my pick is Rangers in six. Um, ultimately, like the, 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 the one-sentence reason why is because they just have too much firepower offensively. Um, I don't see, despite how well they pitched the last you know, two-thirds of the series, I don't see a, a clear and obvious way that the Diamondbacks can win four out of seven games with the pitching that I expect we'll see from them. Now, obviously, doubting them, would be foolish because they've made it this far buster, but I have a rational baseball brain. Like I'm not going to pick the diamondbacks based upon emotional reasons. Despite the, despite the fact that I just saw this team break my heart. And the fact that I feel that way, the Rangers have, I think most of the advantages, the Rangers have what I would describe as a considerably better lineup. I think they'll be able to pulverize the diamondbacks, at least in a couple games, whether or not the diamondbacks can be that live and manufacture runs and, and keep the ball off the barrel with, with a, a bullpen that's been so much better during the postseason, I think, remains to be seen. They obviously have a lot of things going for them, so I'll spot them at least two wins. Um, but as I look at this thing objectively, it's hard for me to find an area in which Texas does not have uh, an advantage. And that's why, Buster, I just can't pick them to lose the series. I think Rangers in six, the Diamondbacks magic, that luck, not luck, that fortune will, will wear off. They deserve all the credit in the world for getting here. But I'm going to say the Rangers will win this series primarily because of the quality of the lineup. You and I both landed on the same picks, you know, six games. Uh, and I've made a, a career here in the last month of picking as the Diamondbacks. So no surprise. I'm going to do that again and underestimate what they what they are. I would say this from the first week of the season, you know, we had the Rangers on our first Sunday night game. And right away, it jumped out at you this collective seriousness about their craft. And the best example of that that I've seen this year, you, you and I and I saw so many, you know, the home run celebration, the homer hose. And I'm not what I'm going to say is not like I'm not criticizing players and teams that engaged in that. But I reached out to one of the Rangers people as that craze was starting early in the year. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? I haven't seen him doing anything. And he was like, our guys looked at that They're like, yeah, we're not doing that, which to me. Fit Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, you know, and that group of guys like, no, nope, we're not doing that. We're just going to go play baseball. And I think we've seen that sort of play out. Does that make sense? It makes sense. To me, the Bruce Bochy factor, the Bruce Bochy effect looms really large here. I mean, this guy is a, you know, relatively speaking, by managerial standards, a first ballot Hall of Famer, an A-plus manager. To get this much out of this roster, despite that, despite the fact that Jacob deGrom gave him almost nothing this year, despite the fact that his pitching failed him, for large chunks of the season, despite the fact that throughout stretches in August and September, this team totally lost its way, despite losing Corey Seager and Josh Young for large stretches, he knows how to rudder the ship. To me, the Bruce Bochy effect is going to loom large in the World Series too, which is another reason why it's so difficult to pick against that team.
All right, Hembo. Thanks for doing this. Uh, hang in there. I, you know, make sure that someone at least slides some juice under the door to you, you know, in the darkened room with the tissue. You're going all Howard Hughes, I know, in the next week or so. Yes, in lieu of flowers, you know where to reach me. Thanks, Hembo. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Buster. Obviously, we have to wait two days now for another baseball game. Very, very scary look into the winter. But what a game last night. I mean, we got two game sevens with everything we could have asked for. So very, very excited for everything moving forward. Yeah, and congratulations to you. Uh, your life fortune is now set because I remember you told me that you placed a massive bet on the Diamondbacks before <clears throat> you started, right? You picked them to win the World Series back at the beginning of the year. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I wish I could say so. I think, I don't even remember. I think I agree with you on Padres before the year. And then before the postseason, I was saying Philly. So, you know, I apologize to the Diamondbacks. But as we were talking about last week, I believe, I mean, first team I can think of in baseball history is certainly in a long time who deserves to say nobody believed in us. But look where we are. And you know what? We were all in the wrong for not believing. So certainly believing now. Yeah, 100%. I was trying to, kind of a fun uh, a fun thought I was having, and I think I started this with you, uh, about what teams would we look at back in history as being the biggest underdogs to win the World Series? Because the Diamondbacks are in that conversation, you know, as they start the World Series. And I mentioned to Hembo the 1914 Boston Braves playing at Philadelphia Athletics, uh, the 1969 New York Mets beating the Baltimore Orioles. They would be in the conversation. Uh, the last team that I rooted for as a fan, the 1988 Dodgers, you know, starting that postseason uh, against the Mets, uh, you know, who had all that talent on this team, that, you know, Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and that whole group, and then getting through them and then going on and uh, beating Oakland because Oral Hershiser turned into superhuman uh, in that postseason after, you know, having a almost a, a pristine September, um, uh, you know, those from are right off the top of the, my head would be among the biggest uh, underdog World Series winners. Any other jump to mind for you? I mean, those were among the ones I was thinking of, especially in the 69 Mets and the 88 Dodger. One more recent one I would mention, just given the entirety of their season, might be the 2019 National. Yeah, right. They had that 1931 start. Their bullpen had a lot of issues throughout the regular season, kind of mirroring to the Rangers. Obviously, uh, the Rangers much better offensively and much better overall throughout the year. But both of those teams had very, very difficult bullpen stories in the regular season and turned it around in the postseason. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 100. So speaking of two of the teams you mentioned, the Diamondbacks and the Rangers each lost 100 games in 2021. Only four other teams in baseball history have reached the World Series two years after losing at least 100 games. The 2008 Rays, those 69 Mets, the 1967 Red Sox, and those 1914 Braves. So I think that's another piece of evidence to your point. And if we look at all six of those teams, to lose 100 and to make it to the World Series that fast, the Diamondbacks, who lost 110 in 2021, and the Rangers, who lost 102, have the two most losses two years before any team making the World Series. And they're going to face each other, and they deserve to. Like, this isn't to cut them down. This is to say, look what these front offices did. Look what these teams did. Look at this bounce back. Number two. Number two is 50. 
So another one that's going to sound negative, but I'm saying it in a positive way. The Dimebacks had a very rough 50-game stretch, uh, basically from June to August, middle of June to early August. They went 16 and 34. That is a 320 winning percent. That is the lowest winning percentage in a 50-game span by any eventual pennant winner. So, again, that is the don't give up, you know, and the fact that this team was able to rally together. And again, it kind of recalled the Nationals, who, of course, had, as I said, the 1931 start. And just for context, looking ahead, the worst 15-game stretch by a World Series winner currently belongs to those Nationals and to the 2014 Giants again at any point. So the Dynamax would obviously set that record as well. Number one. Number one is three. So I know Ketel Marte very, very determinedly won the, uh, the NLCS MVP. But I want to talk about Corbin Carroll, who completely turned around, I think, the story of his series with the final two games. So last night, he had three hits, which was tied for the most by any rookie and winner take all postseason game. Uh, there are five prior. Jay Cronenworth in the wildcard game three in 2020. Joe Panic in the Walker game, the one game in 2014. Dustin Portroya in ALCS game 7 in 2007. Ishiro in ALDS game 5 in 01. Brian Daubach in ALDS game 5 in 1999. He also had two stolen bases, which was a huge thing the entire first five games of the series. Everybody was saying, why isn't he running? Why isn't he running? Turns out that maybe the Dynamics were just figuring out those Philly pitchers and their tendencies. And he had two last name. He is all of them. The sixth guy to have two soulmates in the game as a rookie. Last rookie to do it was Ioannis Cespedes in 2012. Jacoby Ellsbury did it in 2008. Chuck Knobloch did it twice in 1991. And Pepper Martin in 1931. But none of those other instances were any winner-take-all game. So he is the first rookie to do that on that kind of stage. Yeah, I love those numbers. And you mentioned Dustin Pedroia. Uh, you and I have talked about the story about how Pedroia was brought in by Tori Lavello midway through the month of September to talk to his tired team and, uh, you know, got them fired up. I wonder if, uh, you know, Dustin will, uh, you know, Tori will give uh, Dustin some sort of bottle of champagne and thank you uh, from their celebration for for that uh, that conversation. I'm curious, after the Rangers uh, beat Houston to reach the World Series, led by your friend Bruce Bochy, manager uh, of the Rangers. What was, uh, you know, did you and your mom have a conversation about that at all, about someone you met so many years ago going through that? Yes, yeah, so I texted her in all caps, Voter, very, very excited. And that game was on her birthday. So if her team can't be clenching the pennant on her birthday, as has happened before, at the very least, her favorite manager clenching a pennant that day is probably the best birthday present she could get. So we're very excited. And I was sitting here thinking about the first year that I chatted with Moj in spring training. And, uh, you know, here we are all these years later. Here he is all these years later. It's really, really wild to think about, and I'm so, so happy for him. This is why he came out of retirement, and clearly it worked out so far, which is incredible. Yeah, I'll text him that. I don't know if you already have, but I, I, I will text him that information that your mom, uh, you know, that that that's really cool. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. 
So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch. On Baseball Tonight. Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. You heard him during the American League Championship Series on ESPN Radio. And during the World Series, you will see him on Baseball Tonight. Carl, how about those Diamondbacks? Pretty amazing. I mean, this is the home makeover World Series. You have two teams that lost 102 years ago, and here they are competing for a trophy. It is, it's amazing. And, you know, it's funny. I flew home uh, from Houston with an advanced scout of the Philadelphia Phillies, and the cautionary tale in all of it was what happened with Texas and Houston. The idea that, you know, the Rangers, a couple years removed from that triple-digit season, Hanging around. That was kind of the word that he was using. You don't want to let these teams hang around because once they do, they start to – and it's certainly what happened with Arizona. And I think the other takeaway for me, Buster, is that the the, the booing of the opponent on their uh, home field is now the walk-up music for that player. They love it. Adolis Garcia, Jose Altuve, it doesn't matter who they are. If you boo them on your field, they're going to hurt you. Yeah, anybody who mentions home field advantage again should be banned from like any sort of analysis. <laughs> I think we've kind of learned that from this postseason. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Diamondbacks. We'll talk about the Rangers coming up. Uh, I wanted to talk with you about some of the stuff that we're seeing with other teams that's going on in the news. Last night, that Craig Breslow has agreed yep. to be the head of baseball operations with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, you know, I got to know him a little bit through the years. You can, don't pretend to know him well. I know this. He's nose pitching. Uh, and he also is a first-time general manager like Heim Bloom was when he took over the Red Sox. But at least Breslow knows the Boston market. I think yeah. he'll have a greater sense of urgency having grown up there. As one person texted me last night, yeah, his commute will be a lot shorter because he he grew up in what Watertown or Newton, Newtown, yeah. or one of those places. Newton. And, yeah, Newton. Yeah. I used to cut lawns in Newton, Buster. Very nice. So you think he's a good fit? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I thought Dave Dombrowski was a great fit. And then I thought Bloom was doing what he was supposed to do. And that was a good fit. Sure. I, I love the idea of somebody who understands a market to be in that position. And I, I think if we go back to the the idea that the Rangers and the Diamondbacks are playing in a World Series – if you are the Red Sox or any other team, but certainly a team like the Red Sox that spend a lot of money and have really good players, as bad as it may seem, you're never that far off. And uh, yeah, like I said, I thought Dombrowski was a great fit. I thought Bloom was doing fine. And sure, I, I like Breslow and I do like him for the fact that he knows the market and has played there. To, and to extend your conversation, Theo was pretty good, too. And Ben yep. Charrington was pretty good. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he won a World Series <laughs> under Ben. They developed yep. this farm system with Mookie Betts and Raphael Devers. He was okay, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was great. I will say this. The, the, you know, the, the development of a player in a big market like Boston, New York, Los Angeles, 
and then to develop the player and have him become a good player, and then to develop that player and have him become an all-star, and then further to develop that player and have him be a future likely Hall of Famer and then let them leave, that's something that I think somebody in that market would know not to do. And I understand Nomar was let go, and I get the idea that Mookie was let go, but I, I think that there's a cautionary tale in that too. If you ever develop a superstar player who can play in a particularly large market. So maybe the uh, least surprising story ever of this offseason is going to be Bob Melvin leaving the Padres. And he goes back to San Francisco and joins the Giants. What do you think about that? It tells me that Bob Melvin didn't get along very well with uh, A.J. Preller, that there was yeah. there was, you know, there was oil and water there. It didn't work. And. You know, I've had certain people tell me that uh, as early as spring training, Melvin was aware like this just doesn't feel right. There's something odd about this. Uh, we certainly had the Padres early in the season. And I would say that, you know, you left the meetings wondering, like, is everybody on the same? I don't get that impression. And unfortunately for the Padres and Preller, the same way the Red Sox are going through, you know, general managers or director of baseball operations, they're rifling through managers. That's not a good sign. No. Uh, and, you know, one person said to me uh, who's in the organization, there's one common denominator with all these manager, general manager things that haven't worked out for the Padres, and that would be A.J. Preller. Um, so yeah. it'll be interesting to see where, uh, you know, where they go from here with that. Uh, Buck Walter's name has popped up in, with the Angels uh, because of his past relationship with per Perry Manassian. Look, I, I think if it's left to Perry Manassian, Buck will be the manager of that team. The question is whether or not he has carte blanche to make a hire. And you know how Artie Moreno is, the Angels owner. He goes hot and cold on his general managers. That, that's, you know, that's, that's a real interesting one to be in charge of the Angels in any capacity. Again, the reason that it's, that it's worth the risk, the Texas Rangers – and the Arizona Diamondbacks. You're not as far off as I think you once were. I do think the analytics discussion allows you to uncover uh, hidden gems, especially when it comes to relievers. So that's why, while it feels like a job that is almost dead end relative to the other teams in that division, it, it, it can't be that bad if these other teams are able to turn 100 uh, loss seasons around in a couple of years. Um, you know how I feel about Walter. Uh, I think you have similar feelings. I'd love Mike Trout to have somebody, you know, like that around him who's got all that experience, et cetera. And if nothing else can, can, you can, you can learn, you know, new tricks from an old dog in a sense, a guy that just knows a lot and Buck's ability to get along with the guys like Scherzer and Verlander and the veterans and Lindor, et cetera, you know, that. It's not always about the young guys. It's about the older guys and making sure that they're maxing, maximizing their potential. So, yeah, I don't know what Artie Moreno's deal is going to be with Manassian and letting him do it. Um, I do wonder, you tell me, does the success of Bochi, does the success of Baker uh, give more credence to a veteran manager like, like Buck Showalter as opposed to, you know, somebody with little to no managerial experience? It's funny. Someone on the field the other day told me this is someone with long time in the game has great credibility. Says the game is coming back. It's it's finding yeah, it's exactly back right. to the old school, you know, the ways. And I'm like, I, I don't buy it. And I said, I, because I heard that too. Yeah, I, 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 I and I said, nope. The people are running the front offices. There is, you know, we talk about common denominators with the Padres. Here's a common denominator among so many, so many of the front offices. The general managers, head of baseball operations, generally speaking, are desperate for control. OK, the conversation between Chris Young and Bruce Bochy is the outlier where Chris Young says, I'm going to let you run that team. I don't see that happening with a lot of organizations, which is why I, I think that, yeah, you have your successes with Dusty Baker in Houston, uh, with Bochy, with the Rangers. You know, Buckshaw Walter with the Mets last year. But generally speaking, I think the sport is on the same trajectory. Does that make sense? I, I, it, it does on the, on the level of, in a sense, who has total control. But, but I do think that like a, like a large ferry boat that has a little area to turn itself around, I don't think this is 180 degrees back to uh, old school scouting and the manager is the only guy that makes the decision. But I do think... It's it's there's a slight turn 
back towards um, letting in Evaldi go deeper. Look, I, I think Alex Cora and even Aaron Boone are moving into territory where they've been around long enough that you almost have to consider them veteran managers. They're not 70. They're not 60 years old. I, I get that. But they've been around long enough where you either earn the trust of the guy above you or you say, I don't want to do this because I'm not in charge. Um, look, Tori Lavallo seems to be one of those guys, or at least in an organization, where regardless of how Gallon is pitching or regardless of how he's pitching, coming out here. Like, we have a script and he's coming out. And I think over time, and I can only speak from experience, is if you earn the credibility and you earn the trust of the people around you, you have a larger voice in the room. And I think that's, I think if there's a tip, that's where it's tipping is there's a little bit more credence being given to those that have the experience and can say, look, I, I, I've seen this guy. I know this guy. I'd rather this guy than going to those. All right. Uh, what did we learn about the Diamondbacks that we didn't know in mid-September when we had them on Sunday Night Baseball during this postseason run they've had? I'd say it's the circle of trust and the guys at the back end. Um, and I think they're filthy, you know, Ginkle, uh, Thompson. Uh, I think that's changed, in my opinion. And again, when you're doing one game, you don't necessarily see all right. of them or any or any of them. So that that's an eye opener. And, and it works. You know, clearly those guys get guys out. And that's that's the most important thing to me. And these these games that are fairly close, you got to have the advantage in the bullpen. And in the end, in our series, you know, Spores and Chapman uh, look like they, they were great in the later innings. And then you turn it over to Leclerc and it worked. It feels like Arizona has a system that currently works. Um, the aggressiveness of Carroll, and he was the guy we put the microphone on, and he was fantastic. Um, their ability to be aggressive is one thing. And look, I think Tori Lavolo, you know, when he went to uh, game six and said, look, we're, we're not here. We didn't fly cross country to Philadelphia to get our ass kicked. He's been in this situation, not as a manager, but in an environment in a World Series where he, he does know what the characteristics and qualities of a team that need to win and are going to win have. He's empowered these guys. They believe it now. Both of these teams believe it. And my gosh, if, if, I, if I were just surface on this and you're the Rangers, you're thinking, okay, great. It's the Diamondbacks. And if you're the Diamondbacks, you're thinking, cool, we don't have to deal with the Astros. <laughs> and be careful what you wish for because both of these teams now have this incredible opportunity to win, in Texas's case, you know, their first ever World Series. And it's, what, two decades since the Diamondbacks have had a home playoff game? This is really, for baseball people like us, a really cool World Series. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, I did Kornheiser's radio show this morning, and I talked about how, because he asked me, he said, how the ratings being, will be. And I said, not great, but you know what? Uh, in three years, the casual baseball fans will really know Corbin Carroll as he ascends into absolute stardom and they will know Adolis Garcia. Uh, you know, they'll know more about Marcus Simeon. This is a, you know, there'll be guys who are, who are presented to the national audience as stars during this series, you know, Zach Gallons, uh, folks like that. And, and that'll be terrific. Um, I, I would say this. And, I, and you know, I would say this too, Buster. I would, I would just say, I would have said to Tony too. And I thought about this is when the Houston Astros first made the World Series, people were very good. Now there are a lot of people who, who, because of what they've done and the villain aspect of it, wanted them in. What if the Texas Rangers, what if the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to build on what they have? In yep. Texas's case, Jacob deGrom is there next year. Three years from now, they could be playing for their third straight World Series title. We, we yep. don't know. So you've got to start somewhere. And that's, where, that's one of the caveats I would have given to uh, the ratings this year. Sure, they're going to be down because you don't have the mark. But in three years, this is a multi franchise for both. Yep. No, I, I agree with that completely. And I think this is, you know, baseball uh, should look at this as a building block going forward. I think the Astros will have some regrets going into the wintertime because, you know, they, uh, you know, became what, the 23rd straight team that was not able to win back to back championships. But, Carl, nobody nobody is going to have a longer winter than the Philadelphia Phillies. 
considering mm. where they were, considering how close they got last year, all the momentum they carried. I can't, I, I like, I'm trying to figure out how they sort of reprise all this in spring training next year and start to push the rock back up the hill. Yeah, look, it's it's really hard to get to where they got to, and and literally, you're waking up today as a player, as a front office person, as a scout, and certainly as a fan, and realize, oh my God, it's over. Like that's it. We don't have a game tonight. We don't have a game Friday in in the World Series. We're not playing. That's that's an incredibly impossible pill to swallow. But I don't think I change. You know, a great. obviously they have to deal with nola and i don't know what they do there but i don't look at this as a as a we need to there's no look there's nothing to scrub there everybody got better i mean bohm and stott got better you know wheeler has established himself as arguably top three everything about them is great schwarber hit 50 they're great i wouldn't change a thing it's sports it's a little dismissive of the diamondbacks or any opponent to think like where where the A team and they're a B league team like that's that's garbage too. These are professional athletes. I always am fascinated by by any sport where you're like, and I understand gambling that that's the favorite and that's you know that's a team that's that's an underdog. Okay, they're still professional athletes. They grew up playing the exact same way that everybody else on the other team played, and there are certain aspects of these things analytics outside the window that help the Arizona Diamondbacks win, that help the Texas Rangers win, whether it's booing, whether it's uh, anxiety, whether it's a manager's message, whether it was somebody on the losing team feeling like crap that day. There are things that don't have to do with numbers. And I think in both of these cases, some of those intangibles help the Diamondbacks and Rangers get to the World Series. And I don't think the Phillies lack them. I, I just don't. I think you le- you leave that guy in the ring long enough there's a chance he lands a knockout punch and the Diamondbacks landed the knockout punch. Yeah. Uh, you're hundred percent right about that. Uh, another decision that they have to make this winter, Reese Hoskins, you bring him back on a short-term contract. Is it better for Reese and his career to sign a one-year deal? Will, will he want to come back or will they want to keep Bryce Harper for his base going forward? Rojas, terrific outfielder. Um, and you're right. You know, the question is going to be, Will the Phillies come close to signing Aaron Nola? You're hearing that he's looking for $200 million. You know, will the Phillies go that far? All right, Ravi, uh, good to talk with you. And I I can't, I don't know when I'm going to see you next, but I know I'll be talking with you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. Enjoy the series. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster, Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. I got to say, you got to be happy about the location for this World Series, just for you personally and your travel. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, you know, and I know this is not going to be happy. Like, I'm leaving with all the snow coming. Like, it's more of it coming tomorrow. Is she handy you know? on the on the snowblower? Does she got it down? She doesn't like the snowblower. Okay. She doesn't like it. She she prefers to shovel. Oh, no. Thinking, no. It's a lot easier with the snowblower. I'm trying to convince her. So, anyway. All right, all right. P.K. Steinberg is first up. He writes in, did the Phillies count their Diamondbacks before they hatched? I don't know if the Phillies players did. I know at least one Phillies fan who may have. <laughs> Talk of trash at the grocery store. Unbelievable. Oh no. Who would ever who would ever do such a silly thing? <laughs> so petty. Oh, Out of character for you, too, honestly. Oh my. <laughs> oh, let's go to Pat Johnston, the melting pad. He writes in this stings as a Phillies fan, but I want to get ahead of the fans who complain about bad ratings. The Rangers and Diamondbacks are fun to watch in this world world series should be a good one. I agree, Pat. Yeah, they're fun to watch, no question about it. And yes, let's get ahead of it. it the ratings probably are not going to be good, as you know <laughs> we saw with some of the other rounds. When you have small market teams, that's the way it goes. Well, thank God we're not Fox TV executives. We don't have to worry about it. Right. Uh, Noah writes in, didn't think the Fightins would go down like this. Sarah, as a lifelong Phillies fan, you have to be in shock too. Yes, she is. Sarah? I'm playing the sad version of dancing on my own all day today. <laughs> the sad version. The, lo- the, the lo-fi remix. <laughs> the lo-fi remix and acoustic version. <laughs> oh. All right. Last one for today. RL Foxy T-Rex writes in, can the D-backs and their fans get an apology from everyone on the pod? They weren't supposed to beat the Brewers or the Dodgers or the Phillies, but they're going to the World Series. Are you ready to embrace the chaos? I say yes, we are. And Buster... 
kind of right-ish. Well, I, I see, apology them, but... is too strong for yeah. me, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. we've owned it. Every step of the way with the Diamondbacks, like, yeah, nobody thought they could win I, and, you know, continually pick against them. And by the way, a preview for Friday's podcast, I'm going to pick against the Diamondbacks again. Like, I, <laughs> I just don't see them beating the Rangers. But apology is too strong. This is the fun part of baseball, that we don't know what's going to happen. So, RL, I'd say this, absolutely embrace the chaos. That's the way uh, we always love it. As I people ask me all the time, who do you root for? And I always say two things. You root for good stuff to happen to good people, you know, Tori Lovello, Corbin Carroll would be two examples of that. And uh, you root for great stories. And Diamondbacks are a great story. Absolutely. You know who did pick? Or, I, you know, I can't say I believed in the Diamondbacks throughout the playoffs. But last night, I did believe in them because I made $50 um, through a, a gambling application. Oh, my God. So, go you know, go I thought snakes. I landed it nicely, but you're jumping in at the end. Like, all <laughs> of a sudden, taking credit for the Diamondbacks. I'm a carpetbagger at heart. What can I say, Buster? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah and Hembo for sharing their pain with us here today. And also, uh, thanks to Carl Rabich and to Sarah Langs to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.